spoiler warning, the following is an in-depth analysis. If you haven't seen this film, you might want to before watching this review. The first two Blade films deeply impressed me with their tight narratives, their action that is naturally derived from the drama and propels the story forward, and Wesley Snipes' subtle, tortured portrayal of a half-vampire who is very closed and introverted, and yet is clearly a feeling and caring person, constantly fighting not to become the monsters he battles. The stories are both dense with material and suck me into this dark mythology of vampires manipulating much of the human population behind the scenes. Blade Trinity, infamously, does not follow that trend. In fact, it does exactly the opposite. I don't like Blade in this movie. I have a hard time believing that this is the same person from the other films. He doesn't feel subtle. He seems like an uncaring jerk, obsessed with his own cool attitude. He's almost bored, like all this is just routine stuff he's sick of having to do. And he's overshadowed by two other new characters I don't like or care about, the Night Stalkers. One who's Ryan Reynolds, played by Ryan Reynolds and called Hannibal King, and the other who is Jessica Biel, played by Jessica Biel, but called Abby Whistler, and she's, of course, Blade's father figure and mentor Whistler's daughter, and is a made-up character for the movie replacing Frank Drake, the other member of the Night Stalkers in the comics, because if you're making a brainless action picture, you've got to have your token hot chick for eye candy. And your excuse, of course, is that she's not just the token hot chick, because she can fight vampires and take care of herself. And so since she's not the damsel in distress, you're being progressive. But by 2004, the surprisingly attractive butt-kicking girl who can handle herself along with the boys is already a cliché, and what's worse, there's still the gratuitous shower scene. The action is the single driving force of the whole movie, and while several great ideas are proposed, none of them are even remotely explored. And the villain is Dracula. Yes, the real Dracula, first vampire, Lord of the Vampires, who should be the greatest, most commanding, most present villain Blade has ever faced off against. And he's the most generic, uninspired, dullest version of Dracula I've ever seen. I'll explore these problems to try to get to the bottom of why a film with a lot of good ideas never coalesces into a good story, and why it took all my patience to even get through this one. I cannot believe David Goyer, who co-wrote Batman Begins and wrote the first two very excellent Blade movies, also wrote this. A lot of people speculate that the problem is that he also directed this. He's only directed a handful of movies, and most of them were after this, none of which I've seen, so I can't speak to his generally being an ineffective director, but I can certainly say that the directors of the first two, Norrington and Del Toro, were obviously much more comfortable in their roles, and had a grasp of how to visually pace Goyer's scripts. But I also have to say that this one feels like somebody else wrote it. Goyer sacrificing all character development, even basic character interaction, for brainless action scenes and even more brainless jokes, centering primarily on gross bodily functions and six gazillion needless F-bombs. It seems like a contradiction in terms. I've liked everything else I've seen from Goyer except this film. I have no idea what happened. This was my first viewing of this film, and I try my hardest not to be influenced by the critical and fan opinions of movies I haven't seen before as I'm watching them, especially when there's such a generally negative consensus like with this one. Like I said, this one is infamous. I had heard a lot about Blade Trinity before, and none of it good, but when I started watching, I was immediately surprised that the tone, at first, seemed more or less the same, and while I hated that there was very little context to the immediate slaughter fest and elaborate chase I was being thrown into at the beginning, I loved the idea of the vampires trying to hurt Blade by setting him up to accidentally kill a human he thinks is a vampire, and making his identity public and turning him into a wanted felon. But then, within the first 20 minutes, the movie makes the biggest mistake it could, reversing two films of character progression for Blade and instantly slashing any credibility it may have had with that opening scene. Abraham Whistler is killed off again. 
Let's review, shall we? First movie, Whistler is bitten by a vampire, and Blade is forced to kill his only friend to make sure he doesn't turn. Second movie, we find he was turned after all, and ultimately he's cured of his vampirism. He and Blade, after a very rocky start where Blade's unsure if he can trust him, are able to resume their partnership. What is the point of killing him off a second time? We've been there and done that. We know how much Blade cares about this man, and we've seen him grieve over his death and agonize over his vampirism. But you see, it's a lot worse than just the idea that we're going back to square one with these characters. If I was as emotionally invested in Blade here as I have before, I would be really frustrated about this, kind of in a good way. I'd say, look, hasn't he suffered enough? Just let the guy keep his friend already. But this isn't the same Blade. We don't get into his head. At all. Sure, he's got that rocky exterior and you can never tell what he's really thinking, but in the other films, he has moments of vulnerability, and there are plenty of opportunities for that here, especially with Whistler's daughter, Abby. They never have a single conversation about Abraham, and this is the biggest missed opportunity of the whole film, because in a way, these two are like siblings, as Blade looked at him like a father. And what's much, much worse are all of Blade's unfunny, unwarranted one-liners, which everyone seems to require in this movie, maybe because Ryan Reynolds is here. Again, Blade did this a little in the previous films, but it came off as dry wit there. Because he came alive and we believed he was reacting to horrible circumstances like a real person might, we could permit him those occasional moments of comedy. Here, they're out of place, and I think it makes him less sympathetic. I do think most of the main ideas are great, just very badly executed. Most of the mythology stuff is good and fits in fine with what was there before. The problem is that the focus isn't on the characters, or even really on the plot. These ideas are just excuses for fights. Again, I really like the idea of Blade being outed and turned into public enemy number one. I like that when he's first taken into custody, we don't know the vampires are involved, and that it's all an elaborate plan to get Blade out of the picture while the vampires are busy bringing Dracula back to life. I like bringing Dracula into this world and all the mythos about him being the only pure, perfect vampire, and how the others have evolved into lesser creatures. I like the idea of Blade discovering other people do what he does and having to cope with working on a team, which he's not very good at. He says he thinks they're rookies and they're not taking things seriously enough. But like everything else in this film, that never pays off. Why doesn't he come back with that again when Dracula attacks their lair and they lose most of their members? And there's a bit of social commentary hinted at, but again, nothing's really done with it. The vampires have their own final solution, where they've decided that using willing humans isn't as efficient as taking homeless people off the street and keeping them in comas and storing them in pouches to feed off until they die, which they do. There's some talk about how no one really cares about all the homeless in the streets and no one misses them when they disappear. Rather than using this to talk about a real-world problem, it's simply there to make the vampires a greater threat than they've been before. And I suppose that's okay, but like Blade's characterization, I don't like how it gets buried under fight after fight and several scenes of the Night Stalkers preparing and training for battle. Plus, if the vampires are so efficient, why would they be experimenting with turning dogs into vampires? I guess they can use them to attack people, like they use them to attack Hannibal, but they seem totally happy feeding on humans rather than dogs. It doesn't seem like you'd want to risk too many extra vampires feeding on humans. It really comes off as something that just seemed cool at the time, so it's in there with little to no explanation. The Dracula story is really contrived. The vampires happen to resurrect them at the exact time the Night Stalkers have come up with a virus that can kill all vampires, but they need Dracula's blood for it to work. Well, it's a good thing they dug him up for you. 
Dracula has no presence and no energy on screen. Now, I get that they didn't want to go with anything like the traditional version of Dracula, but it's a problem when your previous two villains have more on-screen charisma and seem much more threatening than the Lord of the Vampires. There are lots of missed opportunities with him, like when he goes into a store that sells nothing but vampire memorabilia. I was ready for some speech about how ridiculous his image has gotten and how he wants to fix his reputation. Instead, he just throws the male employee out the window and bites the female one, with no witty retort or anything. Maybe that's for the best, given what passes for witty retort in this movie, but he looks and acts so bland compared to what we usually think of as Dracula. Sure, do a different version, fine, but it's not cool just because it's different. Look, perpetually ticked off skinhead Dracula is no fun. There's a fantastic idea brought up right at the end of the movie that I think should have been the central theme to the entire thing. We get the classic juxtaposition of the hero and the villain, similar creatures with opposite motivations, and neither understands why the other can't be more like him. In this case, Dracula sees Blade as a kindred spirit because, like him, Blade is one of a kind. In perhaps a god metaphor, Dracula began his entire species, and now the Night Stalkers have developed a virus using his blood that can destroy vampires and, in fact, kills them in the end, at least in the theatrical version. He says that Blade is the future of vampire kind. In effect, Blade could be the next Dracula. The whole race will die forever unless Blade gives in to his bloodlust and sires a new line. I think it's kind of fascinating. Now, I could see the counter-argument that Dracula ought to see Blade as the most inferior of the vampires, since he's part human. Dracula, of course, sees himself as perfect, because he's still fully vampire, with no human features at all. His real form is this giant monster version, like an uber-reaper, though it's pretty ridiculous that he feels the need in the final confrontation to fight Blade for several minutes in his human form before he shifts into his natural body. There was something strangely Power Rangers about that moment. I almost expected him to say something like, Super Ultra Mondo Battle Mode, or something. Anyway, so I guess it's a little glaring that he sees Blade as his successor, but it's still an idea I like, and I wish it could have somehow come earlier so a real rivalry could be built up between the two. So wanting to see vampires continue in some form, Dracula helps Blade right at the end by shifting into Blade's form just before he dies, so the FBI will take his corpse and allow Blade to escape. Now, I haven't seen the director's cut, but apparently there, the ending is left really ambiguous, because the body leaps up from the table, and we're left to wonder if it's Blade giving in to his bloodlust finally, or Dracula having survived. The theatrical cut simply has a voiceover from Hannibal saying that Blade continues on because the fight never ends. I'm not sure what fight he has left to fight. The Night Stalkers have a virus to kill every vampire in the world. All they have to do is figure out how to make a lot of it and distribute it. And the question is also raised at one point, what would Blade do if there were no vampires in the world? And of course, like everything else, there's no payoff there either. As a side note, I also don't know why Blade leaves the Night Stalkers at the end. His character arc is nonsensical, and I can almost say non-existent. It's set up to be about how he's completely alone, and as Whistler says, surrounded by his enemies. He's found Whistler's daughter, and now they've been through something big together. There's no conversation about maybe they like working together, or maybe they're good partners, maybe they both share a common bond because of Whistler. Nothing. I would have even been okay with maybe Gasp a bit of a romance between those two, but he just goes off on his own, doesn't say anything to anyone, and the movie's over. Maybe Blade fights Hannibal and Abby as generic and pointless as I do. As I said before, that's the problem with this movie. No one has a real conversation, ever, anywhere. Every bit of dialogue is either exposition, an expletive, or a bad joke. Speaking of bad jokes, was I supposed to laugh when Hannibal tells the vampires who hold him prisoner that he has a Hello Kitty tattoo on his butt? 
And then there's, of course, that whole conversation about male genitalia that's painful but is supposed to be funny. I guess I just don't get Reynolds' sense of humor. I needed relief from the comic relief in this movie. Now, with the title, the term Trinity kind of implies a union, and these characters aren't united. Blade doesn't want to work with them, Hannibal's too busy listening to himself talk to think about anyone else, and Abby is the female version of Blade, or at least of this movie's Blade. You have two characters who rarely speak, won't let anyone in, and you can't even tell if they feel anything about anything, save one good scene where Blade tells her to destroy the body of a friend that might turn into a vampire, echoing the same choice he had to make with Whistler in the first movie, and man, I wish that had been brought to the forefront and the parallels in their characters had been fleshed out. So it's no wonder they never really have a conversation. I guess Hannibal was changed so much from the no-nonsense leader he was in the comics because these two were so stolid, but instead of two interesting but reserved characters and one excitable, extroverted, but likable character, we just have two stale characters and one obnoxious one. The best way I can describe the Night Stalkers in this film is as a cult of lack of personality. And as I always say, I don't need a movie to be a direct interpretation of the source material as long as the story is believable and I care what happens to the characters. I do think it's silly that Dracula's original name has to be Drake, because I think that's just a reference to Frank Drake, who's not a character in this movie. Anyway, Hannibal just has nothing going for him to me. He thinks he's clever, but I don't, and he throws F-bombs every other word like they are, in and of themselves, clever. And weirdly, Blade does this too. The climactic fight with Dracula begins with Blade calling him a mother effer. He's got this look like that's a really clever line he just came up with. And then Dracula says, I like that. Mother effer. Really? Dracula's favorite new word now that he's experiencing modern times is mother effer? <laughs> That exchange gets even more bizarre when, just as Dracula seems to be dying, he tells Blade he fought with honor. That's gotta be the first time in history anyone's ever been called a mother effer and said the man who called him that fought with honor. So I really dislike the title of this movie because I would expect this trinity to be a solid look at these three characters and how they interact with each other, give each of them a character arc. Whatever that is, maybe they learn to fight together when they don't like each other initially, they realize they all need each other, whatever. But by the end, it seems like Blade sees them all as expendable, as he doesn't even have the courtesy to say anything to them before he runs off. I do think there's another trinity in the movie, and this may be a stretch, but that's the three different kinds of vampires. You have Dracula, the pure vampire, then you have the modern vampire, then you have Blade, the half-vampire. Now, I don't know if this was really intended, and it doesn't really work as a Christian metaphor with the triune god, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, I already said Dracula is basically the vampire god, so there's your father. But then, is Blade the son because Dracula has declared him the savior of their people? And if so, then how do the vampires represent the Holy Spirit? It kind of breaks down, but still I thought it was interesting enough to bring up. What's very awkward is how awesome the movie thinks it is while it's being such typical action fare. At the very end of the credits, the word word appears. You know, because Blade's a cool, hip, black vampire slayer. Is that funny? Does the movie think it's got so much slick attitude it needs to cap off the credits with word? There are so many pointless fight scenes and so many techno and hip-hop tracks thrown over them that after a while I start wondering if those scenes are there more for the music and less for what's actually happening on screen. Like, that's how we get some atmosphere in this movie. Consider that the only unique personal tidbit we get about Abby is that she enjoys listening to music while she's killing vampires. You know, like that's a quirky character thing that should make us like her better. 
I don't know, that makes perfect sense to me. I could see why you'd want something like that to help you keep focused and your head in the game, and maybe to distract you from all the sound of ripping flesh and exploding vampire bodies. But the movie makes a huge deal out of it, like it's kind of weird, and I don't know if it really thinks it's that clever, or if it thinks it needs the excuse so that most of the film's music can be techno and hip-hop rather than traditional orchestral film score. The pacing within the fights is all wrong, too. Cuts often happen too quickly to tell what people are doing, and that's not a big deal to me in a movie that's not all action, but when that's all your movie is really focused on, it better be really, really good. The choreography, what I can make out, seems okay, but the cinematography is off. I can't put my finger on it, but I often find myself resisting angles, like it just doesn't seem natural that I should be seeing these shots from these perspectives. I'm not a visual guy, so it's hard to articulate that. There are a few shots I thought looked great, though, like when Blade takes out six vampires with one spinning blade. Ultimately, it seems to think it's oozing with liquid cool, but I'm sorry, the atmosphere this franchise used to have is completely gone. I think the movie Vampire sucked this one dry of its liquid cool before shooting even began. I know I really raped this one over the coals, but it was really a chore to get through. It's like climbing a mountain without enough handholds. I keep looking for things to grab onto, and just when I think I've found one, it gives way, and I have to grab for something else. I'm giving Blade Trinity a 1 out of 4.